to be in front of this very experienced and very famous uh, community. Uh, I must say that, as you have told, uh, I, built an, I came to aviation building an airplane, and the first thing I did after, when this airplane was flying was to fly to, to England, and I landed to Elstree knowing nothing about aviation, nothing about uh, England, and I very quickly found that it was a very, very impressive uh, country of aviators with a very impressive airfield and uh, very different to what I was expecting. So, um, as you told, I am an engineer. I will try not to bother you with engineering, but still a sum. And um, if, you ha if you want to ask questions about engineering, I will be happy to answer. I will be more uh, speaking about vocabulary itself and some engineering and some experience we have and the future. So, uh, first, uh, the company, uh, I started the company in 2000 after a, a modest uh, career with Eurocopter. Modest because everybody has to be modest when it comes to mechanical engineering. And nobody really understands how a helicopter works. And I will certainly not pretend that I know everything about ground resonance and vibration because uh, it, it's just not true. <laughs> And uh, everything proved to me that uh, very, very few people understand uh, more, m much about vibration in helicopters, but we tried to do with that. Uh, so today, the company, after uh, a very stupid and very ordinary story of financing or non-financing and of struggling with financing, uh, today the company is independent. I bought back the financing shares uh, early this year. So now it's a private family company owned by myself, my relatives. It's uh, pretty much uh, uh, a, love, uh, a love capital company and, or what they call a free F company, family, friend and fools. <laughs> and uh, plus a small 3% share of uh, old uh, investors but not significant. We, we had um, a normal history for helicopter company, which is a bad, uh, difficult history. Uh, we used to say that in this job, um, the beginning are the most difficult part of, uh, of the job, and partly the first 30 years. So we are now mid-term in this difficult beginning. <laughs> and, um, but uh, things started to develop uh, very abruptly in 2013, after the first helicopter we delivered reached uh, the 2,000 hour flight hours mark, and the first uh, full customers, uh, um, they were Swedish and German, uh, started to draw uh, the bottom line and say that it was a helicopter you can make some decent money and some decent business on. And then in, uh, in the span of six months, uh, everything uh, went into the green, uh, the cash, the order book, and some decent profit. Everything went at once after 10 years of struggling. Uh, so we had the last three years a very good uh, progress, and you will see. Uh, it's not, nothing is given in this business, and everything is cyclic. And uh, these figures 
uh, looks like kind of like Facebook or like uh, Uber uh, business. It's definitely not. And uh, every helicopter still has to be uh, sold and still has to be supported. And if this is not a logarithmic, this is not an exponential growth. Uh, okay, uh, this is more for our customer, um, customer deal. Uh, we are located uh, 20 kilometers from, uh, from Marseille, which is a good place for anything but uh, for helicopters because of Airbus headquarters, Eurocopter headquarters. And um, it is a place which still has a good reputation for helicopters, and I hope it, it, uh, it lasts. So, uh, to continue with a company, we are a young company. In this business, um, 15 years is very young, and partly only six years delivering helicopters. Um, the workforce is quite young. It's not my policy. I'm by far the oldest, but it's not easy to hire uh, experienced people in this business. It's not easy to hire people in France uh, of any kind. And we, are quite, we have quite a young staff, so we are learning our job every day. Um, so uh, we are now um, 70 people. We had a peak last year with 80 people, but it's all between 70 and 80. Okay. Um, about the facility, we have an old factory that we adapted from a surplus military building. So it's looking good for what we are doing now, but um, it's not complying to the latest uh, quality standard in terms of factory. And so we, we plan to increase the, the factory, uh, the surface uh, soon, but it takes time and it's always in competition with improving the product and in developing new products. So we are not in the real estate business. We are not in the building business today. And we are working with a good uh, array of uh, 200 suppliers. Uh, some are British, some are German, but most are French. And a good number are working for Airbus of any kind. Uh, so we have, say, 5% um, of um, suppliers from uh, UK and 10% from uh, Germany, and uh, the rest is from France and uh, subcontractors, and plus we have uh, uh, today uh, the big American suppliers, Engine and Avionics. Okay, uh, in terms of company uh, legacy, we are extremely arrogant. Uh, that means we are a helicopter manufacturer, and the only good point with being a helicopter manufacturer is that uh, there is uh, less and less. It's not growing. And so uh, if you can stay in this community, you become uh, every year uh, better and better because there is no competition uh, today. So this is the only good point. Everything is difficult and uh, and we have to struggle with uh, maintaining all our agreements. Uh, we have a DOA. DOA is Design Organization Agreement from EASA. Uh, we have a DOA uh, for an aircraft manufacturer, the DOA 7 in France. So when I was a pilot, a student pilot, 
When I was 20, there was six general aviation manufacturers in France. There was three or four in the UK. And as far as I know, there is only one in France and not much more in the UK. Uh, so we have a DOA number seven, number one being Airbus, number two, number two being Dassault, number three being Airbus helicopters, and we are seven. So uh, we feel um, very uh, alone, very alone uh, in this business, having a DOA and dealing with uh, EASA as an aircraft manufacturer is not something comfortable because we are alone. There is no union. And we have also a POA that was delivered prior to the first aircraft delivery. So the POA is very different from the DOA because it's uh, every month audits for everything, including, uh, including um, inventory management, including quality, including human resource. Uh, and including everything, cleanness of, uh, on, of, on the premise. And so POA is more industrial matter than DOA, which is more aviation matter. And we have now an MOA for maintenance organization agreement because for years we had no authorization to touch the helicopter that we had produced as soon as they used to leave the factory we had to call our customers to, to, to change something in the helicopters because we had no uh, maintenance organization agreement. So this is extremely strict. And of course, we have a type certificate, which is uh, something uh, on its own. And when uh, the ESA uh, big director uh, delivered this type certificate, he told in, uh, in front of the public in Paris, we all believed in ESA that this would never happen. We all believed two years ago that no, never again a newcomer will get a type certificate under ESA certification. And he was very sorry saying that. <laughs> and in fact, uh, it is true. It's true. We are very close never to succeed and uh, things are not better now. So, um, I can't go in details, in engineering details, so ask Andy or myself whenever you want about engineering details, but the, the biggest ones is that uh, the Cabri is the first piston engine helicopter in Europe, and it's the first helicopter ever certified by the ESA from scratch. And they gave us no discount, no exemption uh, on any topic, and this was quite uh, hard to us uh, about lightning, uh, about icing, about anything, about uh, anti-collision lighting. We had no exemption. And every time we uh, used to complain that the American helicopters were all flying with such a device, which is, uh, say, non-compliant, the answer was we don't care with American helicopters, we don't care with certified helicopters, we care for future. Uh, certified helicopters, and you are here to improve it, not to copy them. So it was a very uh, uncomfortable position because in some cases we had to do something new just because we were not allowed to do it the same than the other guys. And uh, of, some, of some interest for, for you, for the community of users, we are the first helicopters with, uh, in this category with full crash airworthiness. 
So I will go a little bit uh, on that because he, users pay a lot for that and they don't enjoy it until we explain them what is safety. So they pay a lot for that and they carry heavy weight for that and they have to enjoy it yes. because it's really their, their safety. Fuel crash roughiness is easier because there is kind of an obsession about fire. So it's easier to sell. Uh, high inertia rotor is just flight business. So the aircraft and our instructors like Andy speak for, for the helicopter much better than me about this topic. The fenestrin is also something new and uh, um, uh, of course electronic is something easy to, to sell and to promote because people are crazy with electronics since the day they had their first smartphone and it's not very sensible in case of a helicopter but it's a fact that people want glass in their cockpit and we, we, we give some and we have uh, unprecedented damage tolerance so damage tolerance is something very uh, difficult to sell uh, and I will show you what it is but it is long-term safety L damage tolerance is what uh, makes you makes you safe uh, when uh, the um, when the manufacturer did nothing wrong so uh, it's not something easy to sell because uh, customers usually think that they will never do something wrong. They think that maintenance will be good and they rely on us to do a helicopter uh, that is easy to maintain and damage tolerance will answer if they do a bad maintenance, maintenance they will survive it. <coughs> so uh, about engineering, uh, the rotor is the masterpiece of the helicopter and it's not because it was my job that I like this part of the helicopter is because uh, it was my job and I had kind of a mission from my predecessors in developing new rotor heads. Uh, I had kind of a mission uh, for small helicopter market to bring some new technology to this uh, segment of a market. Uh, many people, when I built the demonstrator, um, told me, now you have to bring that to the market because the market wants it and because people want new technology even on small helicopters. Um, so the helicopter was pretty much designed around the, the rotor and I would say also around crash roughiness because this was new. So the rotor looks like a, like a Eurocopter uh, rotor in terms of technology, elastomerics, Lord elastomerics, and um, um, fiberglass blades and carbon fiber blades, uh, infinite life everywhere, uh, damage tolerance, that means that it will not break if a scratch is overlooked by a mechanic, and if corrosion install installs on the rotor head, it will not break, even if there is some, some bad corrosion. And even if there is a shock uh, on the blade, it, will, it has a huge amount of damage tolerance. And also, it, it was designed uh, with a high inertia because everybody by then uh, was flying the Robinson 22. And every time I ask customers, potential customers, operators of Robinson 22 or Schweizers, uh, 
how much would you pay for fenestration? How much would you pay for crash roughy structure? How much would you pay for a fuel tank, crash roughy fuel tank? They all answered, uh, forget your, your bloody uh, fuel tank, forget your bloody crash roughy seat, give all your energy in a good rotor, and I will not need any crash roughy seat. Because all pilots are arrogant enough to think that if they have a good rotor, they will never crash. <laughs> it's, it's partially true, but still we are quite happy, and they are quite happy so far that we brought some, some crash roughiness for the same price. And the second answer they gave is, we want all of that, but for the same price. <laughs> they say, yes, we would pay 10% more for a crash seat, Yes, we'll pay 20% more for a good, uh, heavy, and uh, solid rotor, but the final price should be the same than the Robinson 22. And this is a dispute that is not ended. It's, it's still going on. <laughs> and uh, also, uh, we have achieved a, a decent success in engineering with this rotor as the best combination of low vibration, high stability, and high maneuverability. So these three points are totally, um, totally opposite each other. And we consider today, uh, I consider having been quite lucky and quite uh, moderate in engineering uh, trade-in uh, to have a helicopter that uh, doesn't vibrate more than uh, good helicopters and has maneuverability of the best helicopters for maneuverability and a very good stability in flight. So uh, I would say that it's the most delicate comprom compromise. But of course, uh, we don't know exactly the recipe. <laughs> I don't know exactly the recipe, so it's something to protect. And when people say you should do so and so, uh, it's not easy to, to do some evolution when you, when you have a good compromise. <coughs> the tail rotor uh, deserves some special attention because um, it's a special design. It is aimed at safety. Uh, when I was with Eurocopter, uh, some unofficial figures said that for the Ecureuil uh, line family, 52% uh, of all accidents were due to the tail rotor. And 52% of all uh, fatal accidents, all uh, accidents destroying an aircraft, were immediately linked to the tail rotor. And uh, the Fenestron has proven a very good safety improvement in that purpose. So it was a big challenge to make uh, an economical Fenestron for this size. And still today, I will uh, speak about accidents. The tail rotor is still the main cause of accidents we have in training but they are, so far, I knock wood, non-dangerous accidents. So we have a patented design. Uh, the only patent on the Cabri is for the, the Fenestron technology and for the low-cost blades. And uh, these blades have an incredible damage tolerance. You can fly with any damage on the tail blades. And we never had any issue, any safety issue with the tail blades in 130,000 flight hours. So the main structure is a uh, composite. So nothing very new in that, uh, except that we took all the advantage of a composite, which are uh, more expensive and more delicate to produce. 
but we took all the advantage we could to simplify the design, to integrate more functions in the design, uh, and particularly crash roughiness, because it, this was the big challenge. And today, we, we have a structure which is extremely repairable, and it's good because for a helicopter, used 80% for training. Um, accidents are not daily, but we had 26 accidents in 130,000 hours. It's excellent in terms that there is no injury. There was no injury at all, but it's not a perfect uh, safety record in terms of accidents. And our answer is that we have repaired 22 to 23 out of 26 accidents. So repairability is one answer to accident when it comes to training, where accident rate will always be quite high. Crash roughiness, and this is a British photo. It was taken in Bedford, Millbrook uh, test range. Uh, the, the crash roughiness of a cabri was the biggest uh, challenge uh, to me uh, with my experience with uh, rotor design and with, uh, with um, the cabri demonstrator. And uh, people were thinking that it was a desperate uh, trial. And people in Eurocopter, my colleagues, was thinking that uh, I would never achieve it. So all the energy was uh, focused at uh, crash roughiness design. And I must say that the biggest success we had in the cabri development when we had all kinds of problems, vibration, uh, say, um, reliability, every problem uh, which usually make a successful development, but we had no problem with uh, crash roughiness, and uh, it was an immediate success, and it's certainly the biggest success to me in the development, and this is why I tried to sell it, because the result is that if you are familiar, uh, most of you are familiar with flying a helicopter, when you see a cabri flying an auto-rotation, uh, average sinking rate is 1,500 feet per minute to 1,600 feet per minute, and we have certified the seats and the structure and the fuel tank for a direct crash at 2,000 feet per minute, 2,000 feet per minute which is a 5.2 meter free fall, which is huge. That means that if you have an engine failure at night, if you down the collective, and if you aim to the darkest part of the world around you, you have good chance to survive a direct hit on the ground with no flare. So this is, the, you know, I, I have this image because when I went to the state, flying at night for the first time, they told me, um, I, I asked them, I asked the instructors, what do you do if the engine fails at night? They explained me, you aim to the darkest part of the world and you put your airplane in landing configuration. At 300 feet, you put the light, landing light on. If you can land, you land. If you can't, you switch off the light. <laughs> so, uh, I, I took that very seriously, and for the cabri, I tell you if, you, if you fly at night, if you have an engine failure, you aim at the darkest part of the world, and you cross fingers, and you keep flying in auto-rotation, and you have good chance to survive. So this is something very, very new in this business. It was only uh, previously for military helicopters. 
So we have done a very expensive uh, static and dynamic test, crash test. Uh, the dummy, John, uh, cost the price of a cabri, and we, uh, we paid for the insurance. Uh, the insurance is the most expensive part of the testing, the insurance for, for the pilot, for the dummy. So then uh, we, we developed a few numbers of optionals for the cabri. Um, it was engineering facts. Because not because we wanted to do that, but because we had to sell the first helicopters. And when you sell a new helicopter, people want, uh, to, want you to do uh, their own model. So we had sold 40 helicopters and developed 50 different versions <laughs> for customers. Some of them disappeared before we delivered. And now it's much better because uh, the number of versions being produced is much lower and we sell more. Uh, but it was a problem, so we had to develop floats for the first uh, customer in Monaco. So we developed good floats, very, very successful and very high technology. Uh, we had to develop uh, bear poles for the first uh, Swiss customers. And we had to develop uh, cargo hooks for the first Kiwi customers, because in New Zealand, you will not sell a helicopter without a cargo hook. So I, to sell the first two ones, I had to promise that we would develop a cargo hook in the next year. So, so we did, and we, we, we are selling every helicopter with a cargo hook in New Zealand. They, they were up to, to, our, to our challenge. And then we have been developing new uh, avionic options uh, all the time because avionics is moving and people uh, all want their own configuration for their own country and their own business. So this is the most common configuration today. It's a typical mission for the Cabri, professional, uh, professional training. So we have a almost full glass cockpit with a modern HSI and modern ADI, uh, just to imitate big transport helicopters. It's Partly useless in such a small helicopter where you are not looking at IFR flight, but uh, people like it because it prepares them to fly a Super Puma or to fly a, a, a Bell a transport helicopter or a, a Russian helicopter, where they will have a glass cockpit now in almost every, every model. So this is the most typical model. So um, ask Andy about pricing, but the rough pricing for this version is 350,000 uh, euro X factory, including the extra for the glass, the glass um, ADI HSI. And the gray version, we have two colors, gray and beige. Uh, we sell about 50-50, uh, but uh, gray is more for professional training. It looks more military and more serious, and beige for British and for more select <laughs> pilots. <laughs> Looking like, just like a British car. <laughs> so the Cabri is also a very capable helicopter, so this is a totally forbidden photo. Uh, I think that I, sometime I believe that I'm the only one having never flown a loop and a roll in a cabri because I keep saying that this is forbidden. And, but uh, I, I, 
I received some, some emails, some anonymous emails with such photos just, just to just to, um, to upset me <laughs> and uh, so this is the Mont Saint Victoire so I think that uh, it's not it's quite close to the factory and in fact the Cabri has very high aerobatic capability which is just good enough to stay steady in a, in a big gust and in New Zealand where they have a lot of storms and a lot of gusts they say that the Cabri is their preferred aircraft when they want to take a photo uh, during a big, uh, a big uh, storm. And they have no limitation for uh, getting out in a cabri. They have taken off uh, as high as 70 knots gusts. And we have demonstrated 50 knots, uh, but we cannot do more because it's not easy to find a 70 knot gust. <laughs> it's not easy. So the fleet today, um, it is much split. It is too much split in the world because we have only um, four or five big uh, country, customer countries. The first one is uh, the UK now, thanks uh, to Heli Group and thanks to Andy, uh, good efforts, and thanks to several people here. Uh, the second one is New Zealand because it's a historical customer. They started very early, being uh, the biggest country uh, for in, uh, the biggest helicopter country for inhabitants and for, for surface. <coughs> and China is something different because it's a huge potential, but it's only starting. And the US is now also significant. And uh, recently UK came over New Zealand. And this is all what Andy wanted. <laughs> okay, so it's good to have such a spread um, fleet. It's not good to have, to have such a spread fleet uh, when it comes to support. But it's, uh, it's our mission and we have to do with that because um, we, are, um, we still are a, a marginal uh, helicopter in terms of people buying it are connoisseurs, uh, which is a French word, I think in English. <laughs> and um, so we are not yet a mass, uh, a mass uh, customer uh, helicopter, so we have to do with a very spread market. I hope it changed, but this is not the place to say that, because the only mass market we have is UK, <laughs> or slightly mass market. So we have sold 210 helicopters, logged 130,000 hours, again, no injury. Two years ago, I was extremely touchy to say that, to tell that, because uh, kind of some, uh, some superstition. Uh, but uh, today, I know that even if someone is now uh, flying into a power line and killing himself at the moment when I speak, I think of it every day, of course, because it's going to happen. Every morning, uh, I, I wake up and say, is it today that someone will kill or will, will be get, get uh, injured in a cabri? But uh, as far as today, there has never been any helicopter reaching 100,000 uh, flight hours without uh, a fatality, and certainly not uh, common types, AQI, uh, Robinsons, uh, Hughes. So it's already something that enabled us to say that it's a new generation for safety.
And this is the most, uh, the most arrogant uh, phrase I could say about the Cabri. <laughs> so our distributors, uh, the first is not just because I'm here. The first today is Heli Group because also it's a very successful business model in terms of distribution. Uh, we are not commercial people. I'm an engineer. That means uh, I'm uh, hopeless in terms of commerce, of, uh, of marketing. And um, it's not easy. And we rely on good, uh, good customers and good distributors, distributors becoming customers. And we are not in a market where we can give 30% margin to a marketing organization uh, so that they hire commercial people and uh, showrooms in the center of the city. We are definitely not in this market, so we rely on people knowing helicopters, flying helicopters. And the problem we have now is some of them have been quite successful in uh, flying their, their cabris, and they want to keep them for them and not to spread the word for their competition. So we are now at a point where uh, selling new helicopters is going to people being more distributors and less operators. And two years ago, uh, the problem was to show helicopter flying, so we had to go to, dis to operators and not to distributors. So today, the best compromise between that is Heli Group. So this is partly why uh, we are so successful in UK. And the opposite way is uh, China, where it is totally new and it's a big mess in terms of balance between operation and distribution because they have, a, they have a huge market but nobody is flying. So they buy helicopters and they keep them collecting dust until the day where the business will explode. So it's not easy to manage and it's, it's even very difficult to us. They need thousands of helicopters in the following years, but nobody knows uh, how much is, how, how far away is this date. So then it's only a series of pictures of our most um, good operators, Swiss helicopters. They are all different. Uh, Swiss, British, German are all different in character because of their relationship with their customers, their relationship with investment, and the relationship with money. So big difference between a British and a Swiss and an American customer, big, and a German. So this is um, um, South Africa, very successful with 11 Cabri flying a lot, training professional pilot mainly, police, military. Um, oh, this is a special customer, a Polish Air Force, they use the Cabri to train all their pilots so far, but it's a very political matter. And they like the commonality between the Cabri and the Russian, um, Russian origin helicopters because the Cabri is the closest small helicopter to a, to a Mil Mi-17, which is a 10-ton helicopter, but they say it flies the same. And uh, the same for uh, Heli Union, which is French uh, main oil and gas operator, a very small one, but the biggest French oil and gas. And they say the Cabri is the closest thing to a Super Puma. And though it is the smallest helicopter they, they know, they say it's the closest one to a Super Puma for, for a student and for an instructor. So it makes us successful in these special markets. 
the same for uh, Vietnam. Vietnam, they, they fly Super Pumas and, and Mil -E MI-17. And they say the Cabri is the common point between the Super Puma and the MI-17, which is very funny when you see both, when you see the three helicopters. It looks so, so different in size. And good customers because they love flying, but very difficult customer to deal with because it's Vietnam. So it's a very strange country to us. And we have also customers in China, so I cannot yet write any, any uh, history about that because it's new and it's changing and we don't feel very comfortable, but we are very proud of selling, having sold helicopters in China. Very few people sell uh, things to China in France. <laughs> very few. Transport to China is very cheap because all the containers uh, come back fully, uh, completely empty. <laughs> so, and then we have uh, an excellent market in UK with Helicenter being a good, uh, a good example of that because it's a very successful flight school, uh, flying uh, now uh, a lot of training and they, they pioneered uh, um, the Cabri being the first training helicopter in UK. And this is why we use their, um, their example and Heligroup example to show off the economy of uh, training business in a Cabri. So to make it short, because uh, it's time, um, flying a Cabri uh, costs, if you fly reasonably as a school, costs less than flying a Robinson 22 though it's a more expensive helicopter, and not taking into account benefit in safety. So we rely on the very uh, serious and very safe instructors to keep these records uh, good. And this is, the, this is today a good record. But still, the investment is a step because uh, you find uh, used helicopters at a very low price and you don't find Cabri, use Cabri at a very low price. So 150 euro per flight hour is not something you have to, uh, to remind because uh, this is equal to selling the flight hour at about 400 euro per flight hour, including the instructor. And it's not rubbery, it's just normal business when it costs you 150 euro you have to pay for all the rest. <laughs> so, be because uh, I know that nobody can um, stand more than 10 minutes before asking the question, <coughs> how about uh, a bigger cabri? How about a four-seater? Yes, we have been thinking of a bigger helicopter for years. Yes, we have a number of pre-projects. This is a typical pre-project. Even Andy never saw it before. <laughs> Uh, we have several of them. Uh, the problem is that it's very frustrating to me. Uh, it has to take place in right time, in due time. And we have to manage a decent success of a two-seater before we go to the, to the four-seater. But we have very exciting uh, project about that, yes. This one is just an example. And then we have another side business. Uh, taking shape now is with Airbus. We, we have uh, the VSR 700 UAV taking shape for the last 10 years. And now it is starting very strongly this year. 
with a huge potential for the French Navy, for the Asian navies, and for all the rest of the world. And it's a very exciting program where the Cabri was selected because it will, um, it will give the best uh, in complement with Eurocopter uh, expertise in terms of autopilot. So Eurocopter expertise in autopilot is uh, just unchallenged. Uh, and the Cabri uh, qualities in terms of maneuverability on adequation to ship deck landing by rough seas is absolutely uh, not challenged. And every Navy in the world asks us, would you accept to go through a series of uh, tests for ship deck landing by rough seas? Because they know that a two-bladed rotor will never uh, do successful rough seas ship deck landing. So um, the program will uh, combine a good experience with Eurocopter in autopilot, good track records with Cabri in availability in low operating costs, and, uh, good, um, and a new development with a diesel engine because the military will never accept to burn half gas, uh, particularly on a boat. In all the world, they absolutely require uh, something running on jet fuel. So this is the next story for the next years. But uh, we intend, and Eurocopter intend, this ship to be the first certified UAV. And don't believe all the rubbish you see on the internet about the new startup in uh, Los Angeles, in uh, Palo Alto, developing the future taxi that will take you in front of Big Ben and bring you in your home uh, electrically, pilotless, with uh, high redundancy electric things. This is, to my opinion, this is pure bullshit or this is pure <laughs> ma marketing, ma marketing uh, promotion. And you are not close to be sitting in a helicopter without a pilot, not with uh, current uh, legal concerns, current lawyers, and current, uh, current uh, liability policy in our countries. And so this may be, this helicopter may be the first answer to certified flight of an unmanned ship and not close to, to bring passenger, not yet. Okay, so, and then I uh, have no time to show you the video, but I can recommend that you go on YouTube to, sh to look at a video where we tried a good video, seven minutes, but it's too much. And this video, will show you that France is the worst place to build helicopters and the best place to fly helicopters. So I uh, st strongly encourage that you look at this video. You think that uh, punching metal and cutting metal and uh, punching composite is not easy in France. You have image of uh, such very hard jobs. And you also have image of uh, flying a helicopter in France. And, uh, if it was not for all these French people, it would certainly be the best place to fly. <laughs> Thank you for your attention. And if you have any questions, of course. <laughs>